The following presentation was recorded at a Christian Light Education workshop. More information at clp.org. The service skills your students need. Can you remember when you were a student? Do you remember back then, I mean, if your memory goes back there and you can remember what you were thinking sometimes, can you remember thinking about how all the things you're studying there in school, that's really going to prepare you for what you're going to do next? I'm going to be a teacher, so I really need to apply myself in school. That was your attitude? That wasn't my attitude. School was fairly easy for me, but I didn't apply myself. I kind of floated through school with a little better than average grades, but I really didn't have to work for that that hard. I was a bit of, bit of a procrastinator. I liked to put things off. I didn't know back then when I was in school all the things that I would need, all the skills that I would need for the life ahead of me. And I don't know how long I will live. God knows that. I don't know what else I'll get into that God has already prepared me for doing. But, you know, and, and you should still be in that learning curve, learning new skills. And are you applying yourself to that in such a way that so when five years from now God calls you to teach in maybe a different situation or maybe, maybe he calls you to something completely different, that you can look back and say, because I applied myself back there, I am better fit to serve where I'm at now. I grew up in a happy home life. I was the youngest of six children. My mother had five children in seven years, and then seven years later I came along. So I kind of ended up being kind of like an only child, which I think that was great. My siblings think I'm just spoiled. But um, I got a lot of attention from my mom because of that. She spent hours telling me Bible stories and reading to me um, things that I, I look back and I say, that was valuable. That, that was back when I was four and five, and I remember it, <clears throat> and even older too. But that was valuable for what I'm doing now. Um, I've, I've heard other ministers ask me, how do you know the Old Testament so well? And it's nothing I've really done. It's because my mom taught it to me when I was four and five years old. That, that's simple to me. If I could preach out the Old Testament all the time, I would. But we don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New, and I, I think that's where um, the Old Testament is there for our example. And you can draw conclusions from that. You can draw whole sermons from the Old Testament, but the New Testament is still where our rules for daily living now can be found. <clears throat> but that prepared me. See? There was, there was skill preparation that was put into effect by my mother back way back then that I'm using now. I think of another part of my life when I was 
right after I got out of school, I worked on a dairy farm for a year. Then I worked in construction for a while, and then I went back to work on the same dairy farm. I worked there for a total of, oh, maybe a little over four years. And at the end of that time, when I switched occupations, went to something else, and I got rid of some cows that I had accumulated and stuff like that, I realized it wasn't a very good financial choice that I'd made to work on that dairy farm. It was back at a depressed time in the dairy industry, and things just didn't work out well. My cows always had bulls instead of heifers, and, you know, how that goes. Anyhow, and I, I will admit that I questioned God even a little bit at that point. God, why did I work at that dairy farm? I was willing to take part of the blame on that, um, but I just couldn't figure that out. And I worked in construction a little bit more, and then I was asked to teach, and not only asked to teach, I was asked to teach first grade. And I was scared. How does this work? Now, children are not baby calves, but they have some similarities. And if any of you have ever taught a baby calf that's used to the bottle to drink out of a bucket, you will see the similarities if you've ever taught first grade. There's some similarities there. And as I look back at that, I said, Maybe those four years were just to teach me patience with dumb animals so that I could use them with smart children. You know, use that patience with smart children. <clears throat> um, I, I still think that was very instrumental in helping me to relate to a situation where it doesn't seem like they're getting the sound for the day. They're not learning the new sound. Why not? It's probably my technique. I've got to adjust here. I've got to figure out another way to do this. But I somehow drew on resources of patients that I didn't know I had, which I think came from working on that dairy farm. Okay. What else has happened in my life? I taught school for 11 years. Then I quit, went, did a little bit of excavating, and then I started a business of my own. I have a cabinet shop now, but I'm the only worker there. I did have two workers at one time, and I've done some different things like that in my life. I was ordained to the ministry and about the same time that I quit teaching school. But somewhere along the line, I started working for CLE, going to homeschool conventions and talking to people. And I found my background as a teacher very helpful. Now, I've never homeschooled. So, in a way, I feel lost there. But I like our church school. And uh, if I had to do it over again, I'd still do it the same way. But I found in my background then skills that helped me as I worked with these um, homeschool families at homeschool conventions. And all along throughout this time of my life, I had been contacted sporadically by C.L. Lee. Lyndon, will you help us? Um, but they wanted me to go on workshop tours. I said, my children are too young. I'm not going. Okay. They said, what age are your children? <laughs> and they wrote that down. And then they called me when my Youngest child turned 16, I think it was. Uh, my youngest child is almost 21 now. 
But, you know, and I see preparation happening in my life that prepared me for that. Because then they said, can you help with the teacher training? We want a man teacher to help with the teachers that are going to teach first grade. And I understood where they're coming from on that. Usually it's an all-women's class, but not always. Sometimes there's some young men that want to take the class too. And it became awkward if a sister was teaching the class. Now I follow Pete around to different communities and help with that. I work with it some in Harrisonburg. And then that led to becoming a school rep and visiting schools. I didn't know the skills I was going to need way back when I was in school. And your students don't know that either. And you're going to have a hard time convincing your students that they'll need those things, right? (laughs) How many, Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand, but has it ever happened to you that a student said, Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, when will I ever need this? Yeah, some nodding heads around. When will I ever need this? You don't know. And as I was asked that question by different students that came under me, I would tell them a story. Now, some of them heard the story firsthand because this happened one morning at our school. We have, on Friday mornings, the the fathers come in and have devotions. We have enough fathers that you only have to do it one time a year, I think, but... uh, they actually tap into some of the men in our church that aren't fathers of children, but there's enough men in our church. And we, um, in our community, we also have a German Baptist community nearby, and some of their children come, so their fathers also, are, also take part in that. And this father came, and he talked to the children about applying themselves to their work at getting, regardless whether they understood whether they had ever needed or not, And this man, who was fairly wealthy and had a big business of buying and selling heavy equipment all over the United States, he was at a point in his life, he told them, where he needed to fly a lot. And he realized he needed to get his own airplane and his own license and fly himself to auctions. Maybe he'd be in North Carolina one day and he might be out in Wyoming the next day or something like that. But he needed to get his airplane airplane license, flying license. And then he wished he had applied himself in school because it wasn't easy. And he had to take extra classes. And his wife, who was a brainy school teacher, had to sit there and help him. And he admitted, I think, to being a little embarrassed by that. And he told the school children, he said, I didn't know back then. I never thought back then that I'd ever be an airplane pilot. But he said, now I wish I had applied myself. And I would tell that to children. <clears throat> when will I ever use this? Or how will I ever use this? And some of the things that we're teaching our children, I don't know if any of you are teaching algebra, but that's, that's a common question uh, on teaching algebra. When will I ever need this, Brother Hartman? Well, you may never need the skills you're learning with this particular problem. But it's teaching you to think logically and reasonably and to come to logical conclusions of how to fix a problem with steps. Hmm. They didn't want to hear that. (laughs) What I really 
dislike hearing. I don't mind a student saying that because, and I think they need honest answers from us. But what I really dislike hearing is when I hear that from parents. When will my child ever need this? And the parent is telling you this or asking you this while the child's standing there. And I, I'm a bit frustrated at that point <laughs> about that. If we can remind the parents that life is changing, the skills that you're getting by with, don't you ever wish you knew a little bit more? Don't you ever wish that you'd applied yourself a little more in school? I, I talked to a bishop here not too many years ago in a conservative Anabaptist setting about this subject. He said, oh, I don't know. He said, I don't know that it's so important for them to get too much education or get real good learning in school. He said, my boys are working with me in the business, and we're getting along fine. They're coming out of school with maybe a sixth, seventh grade education. I mean, they're there for eight years, but, yeah, they're probably not applying themselves very well, and they're not really coming out even with an eighth grade education, he just thought it was okay. I didn't agree with him. I'm sorry. But if you want to get what you've always got, I guess do what you've always done. And that's what you'll get. <clears throat> and in some ways, in place, uh, I'm not all about change. And going after the latest fad in education and, and just going for higher education just for the sake of that. But whatever education opportunities you have... <clears throat> That's what I want to teach. I mean, this idea is what I want to teach the children. Whatever education opportunities you have, do it with your might. Do it with your best ability. Get as much as you can now. Many of my former students, as we talk about different things, and I see, I didn't have them as they got into the upper grades or in, into high school and all, but I asked them, I said, were you excited about getting out of school? Yeah, yeah, we were, we were. But more than one of them have admitted, they said, we were only out of school for a few months. Or, you know, next year, the next year when school started, we almost wanted to go back. And it didn't take very long. For some of them, it took a year and a half. But then they wished school was pretty easy after all compared to real life. So what skills are we teaching our students? And again... Picking up that third thing there. For too long, we have looked at the skills in life as a way to take care of me. And I think back to that bishop brother with his idea of it's okay as long as they're just part of the business. And, and, all I, and I thought about that. I didn't say anything to him. But I thought, what if one of your boys are called to go to the mission field? What if one of them had an ability to write? or to <clears throat> speak, but now because he didn't get a very good education, he's too shy to put that forth, to try even, because he didn't exercise the gift in school. Okay, needed life skills. We're just going to go down through some things here. Reading. I want, because I'm a first grade teacher, I want everybody to know how to read and to read well and to read with expression Read. 
I just think it so affects the rest of the school experience. And if you, as a, as a younger grade teacher, are teaching students to read, consider that you are very successful if you teach them to read and read with expression and like to read. Because you are making it so easy for the other teachers. When that child goes on to <clears throat> fourth and fifth and sixth grade and, and reading is easy for them, then social studies is easy, Bible is easy, you know, those things just come a lot easier at least. It's not going to be a free lunch, but it's going to be easier. But then you have those children that somehow didn't quite get it in first grade. And yes, I wasn't always successful. There's one boy that I wish I could go back and teach him again. He just, he slipped through the cracks. But he struggled all the way through school because of his inability to read well. And I think it makes a difference in how our church members, what's the word I want? Anyway, and how we relate to the church service and to each other, our reading ability does. If we're called upon to read at all in public, are you self-conscious about it because you're not able to read very well? We, we, we need that skill of reading. Now, everybody needs to be careful about the things that they feed into the mind through the reading skill that they have. Yes, that's true. <clears throat> but um, the ability to read and to read well, I just think that's so <clears throat> important. Writing. And not everybody has a gift in writing. Everybody can do it to some degree. Um, and you as a teacher, maybe you're not much of a writer either. I think you need to put forth effort, though, in grading essays and things like that. If the students get the idea that the teacher just kind of scans over my essay and writes 95% at the top, their, the, the quality of their efforts is going to go downhill. But if you actually work through that, find things you like and highlight those, find things that aren't proper English or grammar or things and highlight that, you put some effort into it, all of a sudden the effort, uh, their, their efforts usually rise to meet that. On the other hand, you will have, if you have very many children at all in your teaching experience, you're going to find that there's, there will be several of them in there that are very good writers. And I tended to grade them differently than the ones that were still giving 100% but don't have a gift in it. So do be careful about how you, you look at that. Uh, try to be equal but life is not always fair. Writing. We need writers at CLP. We have projects that are waiting to be done, and Pete will talk about that here in a half an hour or so. We've got projects that are waiting to be done, and we don't have writers. Or we have writers, and going on to the next thing, we don't have editors. And that, that is two different things. I have uh, a friend that I taught school with. He and I taught together for eight years, and he, he is actually back in the classroom teaching again at our school. This is his fourth year back in. <clears throat> he, 
he, he admits, he says, I love to edit other people's stuff. He says, I don't much care to write it myself, but he said, I love to edit it. He's a deacon in our church. So when the um, leadership gets together and we have something that we get, want to give to the congregation, a written paper, we get together. There's five of us in the leadership team, and we will just start throwing phrases and sentences out. And Alan takes notes on that. He writes everything down that we say. We say, we want to have this and this and this and this paper we're going to give out about something new that's happening or whatever. He takes notes on it, and then he goes back home, and he comes, comes back the next Sunday, and he says, okay, here's the way I put it together. Is this what we were trying to say? And we might even still make a change or two there, but usually it's right on because he has editing skills. He's really good at grading essays and all. He has a gift there, but not all of us have that. But do your best. Editing. Translating. Uh, I only know one language. But there's people that know more. And again, we're interested in meeting people that are interested in translating to other languages. Um, There's probably more opportunity with some of the other publishing companies, but more and more we were looking at different possibilities for getting our curriculum into other languages and all. Romania is is highly considering that, but there's probably going to be a team that's already lives over in Romania that will work on that there. Um, anyway, math. They need those math skills, um, life skills, things that they're going to use throughout life that are just normal to everyday living. Let's not forget those things as we are teaching school. Computer skills. We live in an age of technology that is ever-increasing and all, and to know the keyboard skills and how a keyboard works, it's, it's different than a typewriter. Uh, do you know all the, what all those shortcuts are? I don't either, but I know a few, and they are time savers. Knowing some computer skills. They come in handy later on. The counting skills how to keep good financial records and work with finances and work with those things. Art and graphics. I'm inspired by this. And I think there's artists hiding amongst our numbers that are too shy to speak up and say, I'd like to try drawing for you. Now, if we get too many, we'll tell you. And I don't know what the call is right now for that, but I know from time to time we need more art people. We need people that know how to work with graphics and make designs and stuff that are pleasing to the eye. And it, it, to me, it's very fascinating. I'm not an artist, but to me, it's very fascinating. When I'm in at CLE for a committee meeting and all, I get into the office maybe five times a year or something like that. Sometimes I, if I have free time, I just wander in and out amongst the desks of the art people because they have things hanging on the wall and then they have the art that goes with it. And when I say the things hanging on the wall, I'm talking about the photographs. And that's what's really interesting to me because they'll take people from the office. They may take most of the office out occasionally, but usually it's just a handful of people. They dress them in robes and shawls and that sort of thing take them out into a meadow and there's women sitting facing each other talking to each other as men standing in groups talking and whatever and they take photos of that 
And before long, they've got the picture of feeding the 5,000 or something like that. And they hang that up on the wall, and then they change the faces a little bit, but they've got the postures, they've got um, depth perception, it's all there in the photograph, and they copy those photos into an artist's conception picture. And what I enjoy seeing is the picture, and I can recognize faces in there, (laughs) people that work at the office. I may not know all their names, but I can recognize their faces. But then I can look over this picture, and oh, it's the same layout. But I really don't recognize the people anymore. But oh, this is so interesting. And people are working with that. And we need people that know how to do that and work with that. It's it's exciting to watch that. Oh, I don't know, sometime in the last two years when I was in for a committee meeting, one of the other members, his name is Marcus Kaufman, he'd be Ken's nephew, maybe, about my age. And one of them came in and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Marcus, can you, can you help us a little bit here at lunchtime? He said, yeah, well, what do you want? Well, they put a robe on him and whatever and gave him a sledgehammer and he went out and pounded a steak for about five minutes and they took pictures of that. I'm not sure what Bible scene or what scene they were trying to get across, but, you know, he, he showed up <clears throat> halfway through the time the rest of us were eating our new meal and had plenty of time. <clears throat> Just very interesting, art and graphics thing. Did those people know that's what they would get into when they were back in grade school? Probably not. And, and I do encourage you teachers that if you've got a child in your class that loves art try to feed that i know sometimes in our schools that's not something that's high on our priorities but yeah and and essay papers that are handed in with art all the way around i don't appreciate that necessarily either but try to encourage it in the right avenues art how do we encourage that in James 1, 22 to 25, it talks about being hearers of the word, but it also talks about being a doer. So help your children as you're teaching them skills and you're talking to them and they're listening, that you also present opportunities for them to experience some of that. And I think of our subject this today of being of service and what some of our teachers have done where Alan has taken them to a soup kitchen know what I mean by that where underprivileged people come through for a free meal and they were behind the counter and extending the love of God to those people and Alan gave them a talking to before they went he said you're going to see some people that Maybe they smell. They don't look so nice. But he said, you know, remember that's Jesus coming through the line there. And it, it, this was high school <clears throat> children that did that. And you could probably do it down into the middle grades somewhat. But uh, it, it had an effect on those children to take part in that. Some of our teachers of younger children have taken them to an older person in our church and raked their leaves for them, things like that. <clears throat> the children love to be out of school. They, they think they're off. They're still getting training, valuable skill training there. 
but they're having a good time, they're having fun, and the old person really appreciates it, and, you know, you're having that happiness high there as, as you go forward there. I want to turn then to that scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> It's the love chapter, and it talks about, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. You know, I can be a good reader, I can be a good writer, I can be a good editor, but if I don't have charity, I am nothing. Or I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I'm very smart. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I've done all these good things, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So in our teaching of skills, we need to teach a love for God and a love for our fellow men, as I talked about in the first session. So we want to take that into another area then, to the idea of reverence, respect, responsibility, and relationships. Teaching reverence to children... How do we do that? Reverence for God, thinking that especially. Jonathan Erb was one of the other speakers on this topic, and I was able to set in on some of his when I was, he was in our area and I was selling books like Ken Kaufman and his wife are. So I sat in and decided I'd hear what he had to say. And he tells a story about a, a, a man, his name was Ronnie and I forget, Martin or Miller or something like that, but Ronnie, that had a profound influence on his life. They would have went to school together. Jonathan would have been in probably the first, second, or third grade, somewhere in there, and Ronnie was in, was about to get out of school. But he said, even back then, he says, I remember how Ronnie conducted himself in school devotions when the school was all together. He said, I remember how he walked down the, the school halls. It wasn't slouching along, you know, trying to look cool or whatever. Um, he said he paid attention. When they practiced for a program and they were, the school was all together, you know, that was when, he, when Jonathan would have had an opportunity to observe this man. He said Ronnie was on the edge of his seat, paying attention to the instructor, doing his best. And he said it made a profound impact on his, Jonathan Erb's life. And he said then a few years later, as Jonathan got close to the seventh grade, I think, Ronnie came back as a teacher and was his teacher. And he got a whole new experience there. But he'd already watched what Ronnie did back here, and it impacted him. Now he has him as a school teacher. And it has a double impact on his life. And he said, a lot of my, I think a lot of his um, reverence ideas that he has probably came from his parents, but some of them also came from Ronnie. And to somehow impress on students that the way they act is making an impression on other students of their age or younger, usually. Usually it'd be 
headed in the younger direction. I think that's important to tell students and to get them to think about that, to think how they might be impacting someone else by their behavior. The Bible commands us to reverence God, to show a proper attitude towards the things of God and times when we worship God. Then going on to respect. Teaching children respect. And as I look at our churches, our schools, I think this is an area that needs a lot of work. I see children, I see young people, I see older people who no longer have respect for authority. And it seems like there's a desire for to exalt self and my agenda over everybody else. I want to be part of a church. I want to be part of a school. I want to be part of this group. But don't tell me how to, to live my life. Don't give me any direction. Don't be concerned about the direction I'm going. Just this is how it's going to be and let me alone. I'll let you alone if you let me alone. That's about as far as the respect issue goes in some people's hearts. A respect for authority. And and teachers, you are on the front line there with young children. So are parents of young children. To teach a respect for authority. Do you respect the authority in your life? Do you expect the children that you teach to be more respectful of authority than you are? They watch you. And it's not just while you're at school. If you attend church at the same place that all the, most of the children in your school attend church, then you're on display there. And you might say, well, I'm not the teacher at that point. Yes, you are. While you're teaching school, you're a teacher. And it doesn't matter where you're at. I still think, of, <laughs> um, I think one evening we were in a, a Walmart or someplace in town. And my daughter was there, and suddenly there's a little voice pipes up, there's my teacher in Walmart. Yeah, she's still the teacher. One of her students was there with her, his or her parents. And they pay attention to how you respect authority in that um, setting. Uh, Then respect for others. Respect for those around them. Maybe those people aren't in authority, but do, are, do they have respect for them? Are you making sure, as, you as a teacher, are you making sure that the children are respecting each other? Or are there little tiny groups of, we're better than they are, and that sort of, you know, those click things that are never good, never That's something, again, I would refer to Alan, our principal, has worked on quite hard at our school. And and I'll give you a suggestion or a piece of advice that I've gained from watching him is that he tries to work on things like that before it's an issue. So at the beginning of the year, he often has devotionals, even sometimes for the whole school, 
where he talks about issues like this and tells them what is acceptable behavior and what is unacceptable and what will not be tolerated and gives some guidelines as to what will take place if it's, if it's observed. And the children soberly take it into uh, consideration because they know that Alan and the other teachers are not going to stand for that. It also gives direction to the rest of the teachers in our school. They know where Alan stands because they're sitting there in their seat with their students. They hear it. The whole group hears it together often. Now, some, some issues Alan would address more. He is our high school teacher as well, and he would address just with his room or with the upper two rooms, which would be grades 5 through 12. But um, it just helps to keep everybody on the same page. And, and this thing of respect for others is such a big issue when you look at it from a whole school situation. How much smoother, how much easier school goes when each person there, students and teachers, respect each other. Respect for the things of others. If one student ruins a tablet of another person, do we see that something is done about that? What if there is uh, damage done to school property? We had some boys for a while that, because of the way our ball diamond was situated, they would actually try to see if they could hit the ball hard enough to hit the side of the school. I understood their energy and desire to do that, but then I started hearing that they were aiming, they were trying to aim with the bat, and I know, you know, how much can you do that for windows? And there was windows that got broke that way. Then we started putting some teeth in it that if you did break a window, you were going to have to pay for it, and ooh, it took all the fun out of it. Respect for property of other people's things. <clears throat> I don't think this happened at our school, although we've had some issues with this, but I think one of, I've heard Elmer Glick tell this story, how at the school he taught at, I think in Pennsylvania, they were having trouble with the children bringing in the playground equipment at the end of the day. And finally, Elmer, who was, was the principal there, he said, he made an announcement to the whole school, he said, you are to bring in the equipment that you take out. And everybody is responsible to help everybody get that equipment back in. Let's, let's clean up the school grounds at the, at the last recess. Okay. He said, if it doesn't happen, and he, he said the teachers are, what they were doing was they were training the teachers <laughs> to go out and clean up the school grounds after, after school. So the teacher, or Elmer said, the teachers are still going to go out and look at the school grounds, but if we find stuff, they're going to be locked up. And he had a place in the school office where the children did not have access to. Well, it didn't go too long, and there was bats out, there was a basketball out, there was kickball out, and he would just keep taking those things and piling them in this room. And the children would come around and say, Mr. Glick, we can't find this or this. Yeah, he says it's in that locked room. It was out. Oh, and every once in a while, they'd start over and get all their equipment back. But, it, but he would always run it till where they were just about out of equipment. And they were having to share 
one or two kickballs, one bat. But we don't have the good bat. You've heard those kind of things, you know. And it's teaching children to respect property, theirs and others, and making sure that they realize. In our locality, some uh, local children come and play on the playground after school time. If bats and balls and things like that are left out on the on our playground, they're going to go home with those children. We've over the years people have lost equipment that way. <clears throat> okay, going on to responsibility. What makes a responsible person? We want our children to be to show responsibility. So that they understand what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And you can read the quotes there. We'll go back to Jonathan Erb's story about Ronnie. He tells a story of how that when he was about 14 or 15, maybe 16 years old, Ronnie came to him one Sunday, I think it was, and asked if he could go along on a bike ride that a bunch of the youth boys were going on. Now, Jonathan and his friend, who was also invited along, were not old enough to be in the youth group at that, in that setting. And Jonathan didn't think he'd be allowed to go, but he went and asked his dad. And his dad said, yeah, you can go. Jonathan just about fell over, but, oh, okay, dad's. And he wondered about that. He thought about that. <clears throat> Why is dad allowing me to do something that I didn't think he would allow me to do? Finally, he came to the conclusion is because Ronnie asked, because Ronnie was de- uh, dependable and responsible. And they went on the bike ride, and he said, he said, we found out that our legs weren't as strong as the 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, <laughs> but we were determined to keep up. And they rode forth, and they went back into, I think it's a mountainous area, kind of back in the boonies. Well, Jonathan's friend took a tumble on the bike, bent the wheel, scraped himself all up, abrasions and such like. And he said, before the dust had settled, he said, Ronnie was there and he had a first aid kit. You know, he's responsible. He's got stuff along. He's thinking ahead to, you know, this may, something may take place. We may need a first aid kit. Gets the first aid kit out, fixes his, Jonathan's friend up, and then he turns to the bike. And he pulls out tools and fixes the wheel because the only way out of there was the way they'd come in. And they rode back out. Now, if Ronnie hadn't been a responsible individual, and remember that Jonathan's dad felt it was safe for them to go because he asked, if Ronnie hadn't been a responsible individual, how differently that whole episode could have turned out. Which again, made a profound impact on Jonathan's life to be prepared for things that may never happen, but to get ready for them. Uh, that's part of being a responsible person. They understand what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. They have a good grasp of that. A responsible person can be dependent upon to do what he says. So if you've handed out responsibilities at school and you have volunteers... Expect that they carry it through, that they really do what they said they would do or what you have assigned to them. It shouldn't be that you have to hold a whip over their head 
or all the time be say, have you, have, you, have you done that assignment? Are you done? Are you done? I probably did that too much as a teacher. I, got, I felt like my room got a lot of work done, but I put a lot of effort into reminding people. And children do forget. So do adults. But um, we need to help to teach them to be responsible on their own. You know, are you willing to teach them responsibility? Or do you like the fact that they depend on you? And I've always, that's the thing I've thought about quite a bit as I taught school. One of my mottos as a school teacher was to try to make myself um, unneedful to the child. That this child will not need me. I'm not going to be there forever to answer their questions and find their page numbers and show them where the answer to life is. I'm not going to be there. They've got to learn that on their own. And the quicker I can get them to realize that I am not indispensable, that they can get along without me, the better off they'll be. But it makes me feel just a little lonely as a teacher when I get to that spot. They don't need me anymore. They can find their own answers. That's great. Maybe somehow I've got across to them how to be a little bit responsible on their own. You probably won't be thanked by somebody 10 years from now that you taught them to be responsible, but you should be. Anyhow. A responsible person never blames others for mistakes he makes. In fact, he's willing to maybe take more than his share of the blame. Whenever I think of this certain topic, I think of Daniel and how he studied the sins of Israel and he prayed to God there in Daniel, I forget which chapter it is, but he prayed to God and he says, we have sinned, we have done this, and we know Daniel's life, why he was the most upright person. We, we really don't have any record of sin from the Bible record in Daniel's life. Now we know he was born a sinful person. But he said, we have done this. He was willing to take part in the blame, and to, but he, he was also willing to be part of the solution. And that's what a responsible person will do. If he's made mistakes, he'll say, I made a mistake there. I can handle students that make mistakes if they're willing to admit them and grow by them and do better. But when they try to lie out of it, when they try to blame it on somebody else, then I get upset and frustrated. And other things happen. Um, A responsible person never blames others for mistakes he makes. I heard of a book title just recently. I'm interested in at least looking for it. I don't know if I'll buy it. But the title of the book is Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. I'd like to know where that goes. (laughs) but that's, that's the way we like to think about responsibility in life. Mistakes were made, but they made them, and I know how to fix them, is usually our mentality. A responsible person takes care of his or her possessions. They take care of those things. How much waste goes on in your school? Do you allow your children to throw away a pencil after it's been sharpened a couple of times? Of course not. They have the click kind, mechanical pencils. Um, but if it's just a wooden pencil, do you see a lot of waste taking place there? 
erasers or erasers used to bite chunks off of it and flick it at their neighbors and things like that. That's what I used to do in school. Uh, Paper products. Can they go through a 100-page tablet in very, very short order? And most of the pages have nothing more than a doodle or two on them. And then they're begging their mom or their schoolmate for paper. I've had to tell students, you can do your work on that page. It's okay. We're just going to, you, you do your work from that point on down. And be a little more responsible with your uh, stuff. We've already talked about playground equipment, but that takes us on to relationships. We've had reverence for God, we've had respect for others, respect for authority, and then responsibility in their lives, but then we have relationships. And again, relationships are something that's so important in school. Here's this group of students with a teacher, and you've got to get along together for nine months. And it may go well for, for a while, but then some sand starts getting in the machinery, and how does it go? Um, that relationship. And, and those students are watching you as teachers. How are you getting along with each other? And, and how are you getting along with the school board? And how are, you getting, how are you as a teacher getting along with other students and with them? And then they also are, we expect them to get along with each other and with the other teachers. I think especially this relationships one in, in um, looking at it from the student to student and the teacher to student. Are we teaching them life skills the skill of getting along with other people, even when it doesn't quite suit us to do that, even so that it always uh, is others first and myself last. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.